0: We hope these next few moments encourage you, challenge you, and inspire you to be who God has created you to be. We hope you enjoy it. Happy Easter, everybody. It's great to be with you. Uh, Great to have you with us. If you're joining us online, it's great to have you joining in as we celebrate Easter Sunday morning and the resurrection of Jesus together. Uh, Several years ago, I was given an unexpected gift. I uh, had helped out with this ministry thing, and so um, the, the person in charge unexpectedly gave me like $200 and and gave that, this to me in like a wad of bills. So uh, just so you know, it's unusual for a pastor to be carrying around a wad of bills in their back pocket, but that's exactly uh, how I found myself on this particular day. And so I was looking to try to figure out what do I do with this money? I don't want to tell my wife that I have it, right? So, uh, it, it was, and so what I did is That particular day, I was um, spending some time with my son, John. John is our youngest son. And so I had this great idea. I said, well, I'm just going to bless him. I just wanted to do something just to really be generous to John. And so I took him to Toys R Us. Do you remember when you could walk into Toys R Us? Does anybody remember that? You, You can still go online in order, but you can't walk into Toys R Us anymore. But he was about seven years old at this time. And so we walked into Toys R Us together. And I've got this big wad of bills in my back pocket. And so, John, we walk in, his eyes get big. And so before he can go all the way in the store, I kneel down like this. I put my hand on his shoulder. And I say, John, today is a special day. Today, I want you to get whatever you want here at Toys R Us. And I made that motion just like that with my hand to to the whole store. I was like, you can get whatever you want today at Toys R Us. And he goes are you serious, dad? I'm like, yes. Today, this is a one-time deal. Only you can get whatever you want. So his eyes get big. He gets excited. He takes off running and I take off running after him because I'm excited too. I can't wait to see what he gets. So he runs down and finds the aisle where the action figures are, runs down this aisle and he goes to this spot where there's this small little package of action figures. And he, it's worth about $10, this little package. He pulls it off the shelf and he turns to me and he goes, this is what I want, Dad. And I looked at this little package of these small action figures. I remember they were called Slug Terra. That's what they were called. And I recognized them because uh, another boy his age, a friend of his, had had those same exact action figures. He just wanted what he saw another boy had had. And so I, I, I said, I, I gave the action figures back to him, and I tried again. I kneeled down and I put my hand on his shoulder, and I said, "John, you don't get it. I don't think you understand. Today is a special day. Today, I want you to get whatever you want from Toys R Us." And he looks down at the action figures, and he looks back at me, and he goes, "I know, Dad. This is what I want." And so, no, no, you don't understand. So we, I tried again, and then he said the same thing again, and we went back and forth until finally, at the end of the day, I ended up going up and paying $10 for this little package of action figures, and we walked out of Toys R Us, and I walked out with $190 still in my back pocket. He had no idea what could have been his that day. As we encounter the resurrection story this morning, the question I want to pose to you and I want us to think about is, Does our Father have more for us? Does our Father have more for us in terms of our lives? Are are we far too satisfied with the $10 life we see somebody else has instead of the priceless life that could be ours personally and individually in Jesus? That's what the resurrection story is all about. It's about the more that God has for us in our lives. In in terms of our purpose, in terms of our identity, in terms of who we are, he wants more for us. And so what we're going to do in the next few moments is we're going to look at the resurrection story together. And we're going to look at it in in John's gospel. And I just want you to know at the end of our time, after we look at this together, I'm going to ask you to make a decision. But whether you're online or whether you're here with us, I want you to think about this decision. I'm going to actually ask you to act on the more that God has for us in life. And so where we're at this morning, we're in John chapter 20. There are four gospel accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And in John's gospel, the moment we're going to pick it up, this is right after Jesus' tomb is discovered empty. And so the disciples are trying to figure out what, what does this mean? What does all this mean? And so in verse 11 says this, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for Teacher. Now, we'll we'll just pause the account there for a second. So you have this encounter, Jesus resurrected, literally appears to Mary. In fact, in John's gospel, Mary is the first person that Jesus appears to in his resurrected form. But in this moment, she she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. If if I were to describe Mary in this moment, uh, go ahead to that next slide, guys. I would just say her devotion to Jesus was high, but her estimation of Jesus was low. Her devotion to Jesus is high, but her estimation of him is actually quite low. She loves him. I mean, she's devoted to him. She's outside his tomb crying. Clearly, she loves him and has some level of devotion, but she doesn't understand who Jesus actually is in this moment. She's looking for a dead Jesus. That's what she's looking for. She's looking for a human rabbi the one that she had known all this time. But Jesus is so much more than that in this moment. And he wants to be so much more than that too, Mary. And so if you think about it, Jesus in the gospel accounts of Mary's life, Jesus has already done so much for her. When we first meet Mary in the gospels, she has seven demons. Uh, And Jesus, this encounter with Jesus sets her free. So she is a recovering mental patient at the very least. She is a woman in a time when women were not valued, and she actually becomes one of Jesus' disciples and follows him and has status with him in his movement. And she is the first person that Jesus appears to in John's gospel uh, as, as the resurrected form that he takes. He's already done so much for her in her life, and she is trying to grasp that. She's devoted to that, to who he has been for her. And I wonder this morning... If we don't maybe see a little bit of ourselves in the person of Mary, we're we're a lot like her. You're here this morning at an Easter service at church. You're watching online an Easter service at church. I assume you have some level of devotion to Jesus or interest in Jesus. Maybe you're just here because somebody invited you, but still you came, you're here. There's some level of interest or devotion, but your estimation of him is actually quite low. You've only allowed him access to a small part of your life because you don't really believe that he has the capacity to do that much for you, to really change your life in any kind of significant way. What's interesting about this account in John's gospel and the way John tells us about the resurrection story, it's actually kind of like a summary of the entire story of the Bible. Scholars talk about this the similarities to the, to the way John, account, you know, accounts of Jesus' resurrection. The Bible begins in a garden. It begins in this perfect utopia, this perfect world where everything is the way that God wants it to be. And the first human beings, Adam and Eve, they are co-gardeners, essentially, with God. They're stewards of the created world. Their job is to work with God and partner with him to keep taking the creation forward and keep uh, allowing it to to flourish and be blessed. But then something happens. Sin enters the world. They're, they disobey God and sin and brokenness and essentially death enter our world and have spread to all of us as a result. And that's the world we know, isn't it? That's the world we've been living in this past year. We see sin, we see brokenness, we see the way that all even creation itself with a pandemic and everything have been uh, harmed and you know, dramatically impacted by human sin. But then on Good Friday, Jesus is crucified and he is buried in a garden. And a garden is a place where you cultivate and you grow living things. It seems like the most perfect, appropriate place for for Jesus to be buried. And then when he rises from the grave, Mary thinks he's the gardener. That's what she thinks. He must be the gardener talking to her in this moment. She's so focused on the tomb that she doesn't even realize who she's talking to. The writer G.K. Chesterton, he's a writer and theologian, he talks about the significance of this moment in John's gospel. He says this, On the third day, the friends of Christ, coming at daybreak to the place, found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. In varying ways, they realized the new wonder. The world had died in the night." What they were looking at was the first day of a new creation, with a new heaven and a new earth, and and in a semblance of a gardener, God walked again in the garden, not in the cool of the evening, but in the dawn. I love that. Essentially, what Chesterton is saying is that basically the the resurrection, this moment, was the beginning of a whole new creation starting over again. It's, it's the birth of a whole new world, a whole new humanity starting over again in the person of Jesus. The writer Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he talks about this same idea, but the terms he uses is he talks about the first Adam and the last Adam. In Romans chapter 5, you can find that, and in 1 Corinthians 15, you can find that. He talks about the first Adam, Adam and Eve, and he talks about Jesus in terms of the last Adam, and he says basically the first Adam was a gardener who was told by God, obey me and you will live. And he fails. And as a result, sin and brokenness spread to our whole world because of him. But the last Adam, Jesus, is a gardener who is told by God, obey me and you will die. So that others can live. And Jesus succeeds In his mission, he offers himself on the cross in a sacrificial death, willingly on our behalf to pay the price for our sins. And then he rises from the grave, again, the the first fruits of this entirely new creation that's happening right now in this world and will continue to go on for all of eternity. Now, here's the problem with that. If If you just understand that at face value, then the problem is you don't really fully understand the gospel because the gospel doesn't just stop there. It's not enough to just know that. Jesus' death on the cross paid the price for your sins. Jesus' resurrection from the dead made it possible for all of us, every single one of us, to have eternal life. But that actually doesn't save you. You're you're not saved. You're not part of this new creation for all of eternity until you believe personally and individually that Jesus' death and his resurrection were for you. Until you believe personally and individually, you haven't stepped yet into that new life in Jesus. It comes down to our own belief. Uh, My wife and I have four sons. I just told you about my youngest son, John. Uh, We have another son named Aaron. When Aaron was two years old, he was diagnosed with autism, and it upended our world as parents Um, For me, it it drug up all kinds of stuff. Uh, I didn't know how to parent a child with special needs. That was something that was so far beyond anything I could imagine. And there was this pivotal turning point moment that happened in our parenting uh, of Aaron. It it happened when Aaron was about five years old, and we were actually uh, in a therapist's office. We were getting counseling as parents, trying to help us uh, learn how do we parent a child with special needs. How do we parent a child that has these kind of issues and needs and the way the autism had affected him? We didn't know what we were doing. And so I remember this pivotal moment, that this counselor in her office, she said this statement, and it changed the game for me as a parent of a child with special needs. And I remember it so well, I, can, I literally wrote it down what she said. I can remember word for word what she said. Here was the statement she made. She said, there is a direct correlation between how far a special needs child can go and the belief by their parent that it can happen. The direct correlation between how far a special needs child will go and the belief by their parent that actually it can happen. That moment felt like she literally just put her finger right in my chest. It hurt. Because the truth of the matter is, At that moment in time, I didn't believe in how far Aaron could go. At five years old, he could barely say more than a few words. He wouldn't look you in the eye. He wouldn't make eye contact. He was just constantly lost in his own little world. He didn't know how to put his shoes on. He didn't know what his shoes were. And that moment was this turning point for me. It confronted me, and I made a decision in her office on that day that I was never going to be the lid for my son. No matter how far he went, no matter how far he didn't go, it wasn't going to be because of me as a parent. And so I made the decision that day, I will never tell him what he can't do. I I will never let him get away with just kind of easy answers and just kind of doing what's comfortable. I'm going to push him to do things that are new, push him to do things that are hard, even if it's difficult for him. I, I refuse to be the lid for him in that day. And what we didn't know at five years old and on that day in that counselor's office is that if you fast forward 10 years later... Uh, Right around the time of Aaron's 15th birthday, he's 15 years old right now, we were told that he no longer needs to be in the ASD classroom in school, but that he actually is going to be able to mainstream into all of his classes and and be actually getting real grades for the first time because he's doing so well. And we were told that he is now diploma-tracked, which means he actually has the chance to graduate and have a diploma and go to college and and do whatever else it is he wants to do with his life. He just finished his first trimester ever getting actual grades. And as of right now, he has all A's and one B. <laughs> Thank you for allowing me to brag for a moment. Uh, there, as a result of this, there are two things I can genuinely look my son in the eye and I can say to him, and I have said both of these things to him. The first one is, I am so proud of you. And the second one is, I believed you could do it. And I still believe there's more than you can do. Why is it as parents, we find it so easy to believe for our kids that there could be more for their lives, but sometimes we can't believe it for ourselves? I want you to hear today. That's how the Father feels about you. When he looks at you, he doesn't look at you through the lens of what you've done or what you haven't been able to do. He doesn't look at you through the lens of your own merit. When we put our faith and our trust in the person of Jesus personally, he looks at us through the lens of Jesus' death on our behalf and his resurrection, and he sees the more that we could be. He sees our lives through the potential of that lens. So what Really becomes the question for us then, or the the statement I guess I would make is that whether you believe he can or he can't, you're right. Whether you believe Jesus can transform your life or whether you can't or you believe he can't, you're you're right. The level of transformation you will experience really comes down to you. Comes down to what you believe about what is possible. Let's finish this story. Mary has just said, Rabbi she reaches out to Jesus. Verse 17, Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Um, now, Jesus, in this moment, he makes this statement. He says, don't cling to me. She, she turns to him. And she's excited. She sees him for the first time, and, it, and he calls her by name, and she reaches out, Rabbani, don't cling to me? I mean, that seems like a cold response, doesn't it? For years, this confused me. I'd read it, and something about it would just sort of like rub me the wrong way. I was like, what, what is he, why does he do that? She reaches out to him, and he's like, uh, nope, nope, don't cling to me. Don't, don't hang on to me. Nope. Haven't yet ascended to my father. Why does he do that? What you have to understand in this moment is that she's trying to cling to who Jesus was. She's not clinging to who he is. He's so much more than what she has believed up to this point. She's trying to cling to the rabbi that she knew, the teacher. She's allowed Jesus to be a teacher in her life. She's allowed him to be a healer. Uh, I, I would say she's even allowed him to be an example for her. You know, he's a great example of how to live a moral life and And again, I think we can see ourselves a lot in Mary. For many of us, that's our story. We've allowed Jesus to to be a great teacher. We thought, man, Jesus taught a great way to live. We've allowed Jesus to be a great example in many ways for us. He's a good example of how to live a moral life. But the problem is, that's not who Jesus revealed himself as. Jesus came as a savior. The name Jesus means God saves. He came as a savior because we needed to be saved. We needed to be rescued we needed to be redeemed and that's who he is that's who, who jesus reveals himself as that's how he wants us to understand him and so as we turn this resurrection story toward ourselves this morning the question is what are you clinging to what are you clinging to we all cling to something Every one of us in this room, every one of us watching online, we all cling to something for identity, for a sense of purpose, for a sense of ultimate meaning that gives us a sense of personhood. All of us cling to something. Here's what I want you to understand. Without Christ, our greatest blessings, the things that we cling to for our identity and our purpose, they eventually become our greatest curses in life. But in Christ... Even our greatest curses will eventually turn into blessings. Let me show you what I mean. Without Christ, even these things that we cling to, our greatest blessings will eventually become curses. If your greatest blessing in life is your looks, if that's where you get your sense of identity, if that's where you get your sense of purpose is is your looks, uh, eventually you will die a thousand deaths before they finally plant you in the ground Because age will come and age will strip it from you day by day, year by year. And eventually your greatest blessing will be your greatest curse. If your money, if that's your greatest blessing that you're clinging to in this life, you will eventually get to the end of your life and you will discover that all of us actually give and and leave the same amount behind when we die. Did you know that? All of it. And your greatest blessing will eventually become your greatest curse. If your intellect is your greatest blessing, if that's the thing that you measure yourself by and you, you get a sense of identity from, as age comes, as memories fade, as your mind dulls, as you get older, eventually your greatest blessing, if that's what you're clinging to, will become your greatest curse. But watch this. In Christ, when we allow, when we believe in Jesus as our Savior, when we allow his life to become our life, when that, when his identity becomes our identity as a child of God, even your greatest curses eventually turn into blessings. Cancer is your greatest curse in this life. We just sang about it. Death, in Christ, death has lost its sting. And this body that we live in is a temporary dwelling. That's what Paul calls it. It's a tent. It's a temporary dwelling. This earth is not our home. If your greatest curse in this life is lost loved ones. Maybe you've had to say goodbye again and again and again. Maybe you've even had to stand by the coffin of your spouse. Don't you see in Christ, death is only temporary. And someday on the other side of the river, there's gonna be this reunion that will far outshine anything this world has to offer. If your greatest Curse in this life is poverty. The the only riches that really are true riches are already yours. They already belong to you in Christ. If autism is your greatest curse, there is no lid to who you can and will be in Him. Do you see it? Do you see it? And in fact, that's what we're celebrating with baptism. That's the symbolism of it. Romans 6 talks about how we're buried with Christ in baptism and we're raised to a new life in Him. So just like Jesus died and was buried, when we go down in the water of baptism, essentially what we're saying is, I'm dying to this old life. I'm dying to the things that I cling to, my greatest blessings I cling to for a sense of identity and and meaning and purpose. I'm dying to those things. I'm dying to my own merit. And just like Jesus was raised to a new life, when we come out of the water, what we're saying is, I've been made new. I've been raised to a new life in Jesus. And I am in Christ for all of eternity. That's what we're saying when we do that. That's the symbolism of it. And so, the last question I want to leave you with, and this is the decision I, I, you need to make today what are you going to do with Jesus? You're in this room right now, you're watching online right now. I don't believe you're here by accident. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with the more that He invites us into? Don't settle for the $10 life that somebody else has instead of the priceless life that could be yours personally and individually in Jesus. He wants that for you. He's a father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. He sees the potential of our lives through the person of Jesus and he invites us to step into that life. And So here's what we're going to do. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to stand in the room, and we're going to sing. And when we do that, uh, when we're singing, um, there's some of you in this room who have already made the decision to get baptized, and you've let us know. When we're singing, what I would love for you to do is for you to make your way, wherever you are in the room, uh, to make your way over here to this side of the stage where the Jesus banner is, and just gather over here with me and with a few of our, our staff, and um, then, you know, as soon as we're, we're done with the time of singing, we're going to go ahead and baptize you. But here's what I want to say. There are some of you in this room right now. You didn't plan on getting baptized this morning. You got up and you came to an Easter service and it wasn't your plan to get baptized. But you know God is speaking to you. And the question, what are you going to do with Jesus, is working its way into your heart right now. And you know it's your time. You know it's your moment. Don't wait. Don't settle for that $10 life. But lean into the more that Jesus has for you. I want to challenge you to make a bold move that when we stand and when we sing, if that's you, if you know now is your time to get baptized, even if you weren't planning on it, I want you to come over here and I want you to join us as well with the group that's going to be over here on this side of the room. And here, here's the thing. Maybe you're thinking, well, I didn't bring a towel. I didn't bring a change of clothes. We've got towels over here for you. We've got shirts that everybody gets a shirt like the one I'm wearing when you get baptized. Don't get baptized to get a shirt, please. Don't do that. Uh, but... But we we have at least shirts. We have bathrooms over here on this side of the building as well as out here in the lobby if you need a place to change. Don't let the logistics get in the way of the kingdom eternal reality that God wants to do in your life today. And for some of you, as we're gonna pray right now. And as we do, some of you, you're gonna make this decision to put your faith and your trust in Jesus for the first time. And uh, we've been asking people, even those who get baptized this morning and those who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus, we're asking people to sign this uh, banner right on the white. Uh, You can see many people have done it already over the course of the last uh, six months or so. We've asked people just to sign their names as a way of saying, I've been, my life is found in Jesus. I've been saved. I've been redeemed by him. And that's just the way we're celebrating that all this year. So you can come up and do that in, in between services if you'd like. And those of you watching online, you can let us know as well if you're doing that, if you're taking that, that step and making that decision. But would you bow with me and let's pray. And then we'll stand and sing and we'll go for it. So Jesus, right now we come to you just like your disciples, uh, incredulous, it's hard to believe, God. We Sometimes we've allowed you to be a teacher, an example, even maybe for some of us a healer. We've, we've imagined you as more, but today, this morning, God, we enter in, we receive you as, as who you are, Jesus, and you are a Savior. So right now, we repent of our sin. We repent of our brokenness. We repent, God, just of all the ways that we've tried to rescue ourselves and save ourselves and find things that we cling to for merit and for identity and for worth. And we, today we say, Jesus, we confess you as Lord of our lives. We ask you to be Lord. We ask you to come in and give us a new life in you. We ask you to be our Savior and to be the one who walks with us. Lord, would you turn our, even our curses into blessings as we surrender our lives to you and as we trust you and your work to do that. We ask this in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen.